we were out to dinner, and it was a, it was a really good meal. And dinner was finishing up, and the waiter brought out a tray. And on the tray were all these desserts, and they all looked really, really good. And it was one of those restaurants where they want to impress you by naming things that you can't repeat back to them accurately. Uh, and he's going through all of these things that are in these desserts, half of which I've never heard of before. But they all looked incredible. And this wasn't like you would see the old like styrofoam desserts, the old plastic. Like These were legit desserts on the tray. And they all looked really good. And, and so good, in fact, I, I couldn't decide. And somebody else was buying dinner, so dessert was on the table. And I'm like, hmm, you know. Uh, I'm thinking about it, um, and they offered. I'm not just like they took me to dinner and were like, "Oh, well, I'm going to rack up their bill." I mean, they were saying, "Make sure you know you, you have dessert." And the waiter left, and then out of the corner of my eye, I saw it on the table next to us. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my entire life. It was a dish of creme brulee with fresh berries. If you want to know the way to my heart, it's creme brulee. Not that anybody asked, but I thought I'd share that with you anyways. <laughs> and this was not on the waiter's tray. A creme brulee is my favorite dessert ever. There's just something about sugar in a torch. I don't know if it's the pyromaniac in me or what, but there's just something about that combination that I am here for every day of the week. Yes, yes. And, and I saw that out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, wait a minute. That wasn't on the tray. And all the amazing desserts that were on the tray were now a distant memory because all I wanted was that incredible, beautiful, delicious, gorgeous little dish of creme brulee with fresh fruit that was seated on the table next to ours. So after a couple of minutes of salivating and staring and trying not to be awkward about staring at somebody else's dessert and make you think, make them think that I'm staring at them every bite that they took, but the urge of just staring down the creme brulee, like the battle within my mind was real. Finally, moments later, the waiter came around to the table and said, have you made the decision on dessert? And I said, why, yes, I have. <laughs> I would like the creme brulee. And the waiter said, I'm sorry, sir, we're out of that. How do you run out of creme brulee? How's that possible? But they were out of it. In all of the desserts that looked so good on the tray that the waiter brought out just moments before had lost all of their appeal. The only thing I wanted for dessert was the thing I couldn't have. Why is it in life we're fixated upon the thing we can't have? Why is it in life we lose sight of all that we have and we want the one thing we can't have? For some, you spend an entire career chasing the next move, the next step, the promise of the next promotion or the next opportunity. For some, your family falls apart. For some, you're just never satisfied. And it's never enough. This morning, we're going to look at one of the most impactful moments 
in all of human history. And it impacts us to this day. It's a story you're undoubtedly familiar of, even if you have really very little understanding or very little familiarity with the Bible. You have heard the story of Adam and Eve and eating the fruit, the forbidden fruit. And today, that's what we're going to look at. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to join us on the Bible app. If you have a regular Bible with you, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. Uh, We're going to be in the third chapter today of Genesis chapter 3, starting verse 1, as we continue our look at the beginning where we read these words. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So let's stop right there. We've just seen what God has done. God has just made the world. He's made everything in the world. He's made humanity. He's made Adam and Eve. God looks at everything and he says it is good. He creates a special garden within a beautiful world for Adam and Eve to reside in, to grow in, to create things in, to to just have a wonderful life. Beauties on full display, Genesis chapter 2 tells us everything they need in terms of food, all of their needs are taken care of in this garden, and yet God gives them one restriction. God gives them one restriction. He says there's one tree, there's one tree that you cannot eat of, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So that's what Genesis 1 and 2 tells us, and now we fast forward to the words we've just read in Genesis 3.1, where the serpent approaches Eve and says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now notice the tactic here. At no point in time has God said you're not allowed to eat of any tree in the garden. In fact, just the opposite. God's told Adam and Eve, look at every tree that this garden has to offer. Take and eat except for one, except for one tree. There's one tree that is forbidden, but every other tree that you find in this garden is for you. Notice the tactic of the enemy, of the serpent here. He doesn't just come out and accuse God of something. He's more crafty than that. He's more wise than that. He forms it as a question. It's not a definitive statement. He doesn't come out and just say, God is restrictive. God is oppressive. God doesn't want you to experience joy. God doesn't want you to have any good thing. That's not his approach. His approach is to subtly approach Eve and to say, did God actually say? Did God really say, can you believe, like, can you believe that God would do this? That he'd put you in this incredible garden around all this beauty? Did God actually say that you can't have any of this? You can't have any tree in here? He's forming the question, and he's distorting entirely what God has actually commanded. And he's starting the baseline here of saying that God is oppressive and God is restrictive. But rather than just come out and say that, he's forming it in a question. But he can't start with the truth. So he has to start extreme. Did God actually say that you can't have any tree in this garden? Of course God didn't say that. That's a non-starter. 
And so Eve responds in verses 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, Eve responds with, with some accurate freedoms. Eve responds with some accurate freedoms. The serpent approaches Eve and says, did God actually say you can't have any of this? And Eve says, no, 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 no. We can have this. We can have all of this, except for one tree. There's one tree in the garden that God has restricted from us. There's one tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God has told us we can't eat from it and, and that we can't touch it. And if we eat from it or we touch it, then we die. But here's the problem. Genesis 2, 16 through 17 records God's command regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says nothing of touching the tree. It says nothing of touching the tree. Eve added that herself. And this is the problem with legalism. The problem with legalism is it's oftentimes rooted in really good intentions. What's the wisest course of action for Adam and Eve? To not touch the tree. That's the wisest course of action. That's the tree that God said, don't eat from it. So the wisest course of action for Adam and Eve regarding that tree is don't eat from it. Avoid it. Don't put yourself in that situation. Don't put yourself in that scenario. So to be wise and to be prudent regarding how you respond to that tree. But the problem is, Eve has now equated commands that she has created with the command of God. And some of you have grown up in environments like this where people will equate their own rules and their own restrictions as good of intentions as they may have with the mandates that God has clearly expressed. But the problem is, not everybody suffers from the same temptation. And the problem is, when we start adding restrictions that God never put into place to begin with, we elevate ourselves into the same position of God. No matter how good our intentions may be. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not to live a life of wisdom, and it doesn't mean that we're not to live a life of prudence. We are to be wise, and we are to be prudent in how we respond, but we also have to be clear what is, what is biblical and what is not. God never told Adam and Eve, they could not touch the tree. But as the serpent comes, he starts with just an outlandish question. And Eve says, no, that's not what God says. But then Eve adds to her response something God never said. And now the enemy has an opening. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, Eve's given the serpent an opening because she has said, well, well, I can't even touch the tree. If I even touch the tree, I'll surely die. And the serpent says, you won't surely die. You won't surely die for that. And he takes that one element 
and he twists it. And then the lie blossoms from there because he moves from the fact that he says, you will not surely die from that into going to discussing the fact that you should eat it. And God definitely in Genesis 2, 16 and 17 said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. But there's so much lies and there's so much confusion mixed in. That's how the enemy operates. That's how it works. It's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. In fact, God isn't good. You know why God doesn't want you to eat of it? God doesn't want you to eat of it because God's scared of you. He doesn't want you to be just like him. That's the reason God doesn't want you to eat of the tree. What's fascinating is how the serpent's tactics haven't changed from the garden to today. What are the lies that we see readily available everywhere we turn? That God is oppressive. He's restrictive. That God just wants to keep you from things. The response of humanity is the same that we've seen here. People mix in all kinds of rules and regulations that God never intended or never said. Oftentimes birthed out of wisdom. Oftentimes birthed out of prudence. But taken too far, develop into legalism. That form a wedge between people and their creator. Which gives the enemy an opportunity to come. And what happens again with the legalistic idea is when we've held on to it so strongly, we've given him an opening. And then we have a hard time of seeing where the truth and where our own preferences stop. We're prone to attack. You know what's fascinating in this picture? Is the best the serpent could come up with is that Adam and Eve would be like God. The idea of surpassing God isn't even something that the serpent can fathom. Because the serpent's had an encounter with God. The serpent knows God. The serpent knows the nature of God and the person of God. And the serpent knows there's no way we can even fathom being greater than God. The best the serpent can come up with is that you'll be just like God. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why we try to live our lives in order to bring about the glory and the honor of God. Because there is nothing better and there is nothing greater can't even fathom it. God isn't good, Eve. You're not going to die. God just doesn't want you to become like him. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, 
and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And in an instant, everything changes. In an instant, everything changes. Sin appears. And notice what Eve saw. The tree was good for food. It served a purpose. That it was a delight to the eyes. It looks appealing. And it was desired and made wise. It promises a great result. Again, the, the tactics haven't changed. Since the Garden of Eden, the tactics of the enemy haven't changed. That, that sin, that rebellion always ser- seems to serve a purpose. It always looks appealing. And it always promises a great result. That's, that's not changed. And yet we fall for it every time. Every single one of us. We fall for it. Why? Because it serves a purpose. It looks appealing. It promises a great result. Why'd you lie? It served a purpose. Why'd you cheat on your spouse? The other person looked appealing. Like we can go down, we can go down the list of things. It all falls into these categories. It serves a purpose. It looks appealing. It promises a great result. Nothing's changed. The tactics haven't changed. The outcome hasn't changed either. Eve sees that the fruit looks good. Looks good. takes and she eats of it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate bravo adam we find out that adam's with her and he takes a bite and she's still alive what's going on god said if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you will die the serpent comes and says you're not going to die Eve takes a bite, and she's alive. This isn't like some Hollywood horror film where someone's poisoned and they die three seconds after eating something. She's still living. And she passes, she passes the fruit over to Adam. He doesn't even pick his own piece. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll take that, great. And he takes a bite. And then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, in an instant, everything changes. In an instant, everything's different. We saw last week at the end of Genesis chapter 2, and if you missed that, you can catch up with all of the messages we have. They're archived on our website, lakeside-church.com slash media. We, we talked last week as we saw the end of Genesis chapter 2 that there was complete freedom between Adam and Eve. 
There was complete freedom. They were naked and they felt no shame. We saw that intimacy. We saw that authenticity. We saw that there were no secrets between them. There was no insecurity. Now everything's different. They take a, a bite of the fruit and they realize we don't have any clothes on. So they go and they make coverings for themselves, sewing fig leaves together, made loincloths. See how the mindset shifts? Immediately after eating this, a few years ago, I was working at a church, and during one of our small groups, we had childcare being provided in the basement uh, for some kids. And one of the members of the group brought their kids to the group, and all of a sudden, the babysitter came upstairs, and we had trained the babysitters no matter what happens, unless there's a fire, don't interrupt the group time. And the babysitter came upstairs to interrupt the group time. And everybody's like, oh, this, this is, what, what's going on? And there was a three-year-old boy who had taken off all of his clothes and was doing the helicopter, like, <laughs> just underwear above his head and, and running at people, refusing to put his clothes on. And they're like, I'm not sure if there's a fire or not, but this elevates to the point We've asked him for five minutes to put his clothes on, and the kid won't put his clothes. He was just, he was a toddler. He didn't care. He didn't care. Because there's that level of innocence. There's that, there's just not that care, that level of concern. If I do that right now, it's the end of Lakeside. I'm arrested, and I'm on the registry for the rest of my life. Right? Like, you guys aren't ever coming back to Lakeside if I start doing the helicopter up here. And my wife won't even come to Lakeside anymore if I start doing the helicopter up. It's the end. It's the end. Gone is the innocence. And for the first time, there's that understanding between Adam and Eve. We're naked. Everything looks different. Everything has changed. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. God's in the garden. Adam and Eve ate from the tree they knew they weren't supposed to. They've covered themselves. Now they hide in the trees. Which is just great. It's like playing hide and seek with a four-year-old. Adam and Eve have, have their little loincloths they, they've covered themselves with, and they're hiding in the trees from God who created them in the garden and is everywhere. Like, this is the worst game of hide and seek in history. Well, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Not because God didn't know exactly where Adam and Eve were. God already knows what's happened. And Adam said, 
I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Adam and Eve are freaking out, and they're trying to figure out what to do. Their first step was, let's, let's clothe ourselves. If you're ever freaking out, that's a good first step. The second step was, let's try to hide. That doesn't work. So now what? Now they try a diversion. God, I, I heard you, but I was naked, and I didn't want you to see me like that, even though you created me like that, so I hid. Yeah, that sounds good. And God says, well, who told you you were naked? So now what do you do? You've done what you're not supposed to do. There are consequences that you've already experienced. Everything's already changed. You're already looking at yourself and your wife differently. You're now hiding where before you were walking together with God. Now God shows up and you're hiding from him. And now he's asked you, which you obviously have, and he already knows you have. Did you eat of the tree from which I have forbidden you? How do you answer? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. I doubt that Adam and Eve had created cars yet in the Garden of Eden, but somehow there's a bus that's coming right for him, and Adam just takes Eve, and whoop. There you go. Well, God, yes, we ate, but, but my bite was the second bite, and my bite didn't come off the tree and really, if you look at the teeth marks, I think you're going to see that Eve took a much larger bite than I did. And really, I didn't even want to take the bite, but she pressured me. I mean, she went over to the tree, and she grabbed the fruit, and she just dove right in. You know she's a big eater. And then she just she passed that, that fruit to me, and I just took a little bit of a nibble, but, but it's, it's, it's on her. It's on her. Just throws her under the bus. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, You see the serpent? Never mind the fact that I reached up and I grabbed the fruit. And I took the first bite. Never mind all of that. But do you see the serpent over there? The serpent's the one to blame. You see how nothing's changed. Every day, God has given us guidelines. And those guidelines are for our good. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Because sometimes we see the tree. 
And it would just have been so much easier if God would have made the tree of the knowledge of good and evil ugly, if it would have been some weird-looking tree, if the fruit of it wouldn't have, wouldn't have seemed so appealing. And we walk through life, and, and it seems like it would be just so much easier If the things that trip us up didn't seem so awesome at the time and didn't look so good and didn't promise us something better. But we rationalize that and we convince ourselves that it's true. But the reality is, sooner or later it doesn't matter what that tree looks like. doesn't matter what that fruit tastes like. We're going to go after it. Because we want what we can't have. And Adam and Eve are in a garden surrounded by more beauty than we can fathom. With all of their needs taken care of, eternity offered to them. But the one thing that they can't have, the one thing God has put a restriction on, is what they go after. And I'm wondering what are we chasing? What are we chasing right now in our lives? Because God has put the guardrails up. He said, that's not for you. That's not for you. But it looks so good, and it promises great results. And there seems to be benefit. How many times will we take of that fruit? How many times will we sink our teeth into it only to immediately realize that was a mistake? And what happens then? Do we own it? Do we take responsibility? Or do we point our finger? Well, it's this person's fault. And it's because of this and this and this. God, I, I took it, but Eve's the one that gave it to me. Well, I took it, but the serpent's the one who made it look appealing to me. And we see this throughout our society, that there is no personal responsibility for anything anymore. That everybody's pointing the finger and blaming everyone else. See, there's nothing new. 
the enemy still comes to us and he frames it that God is oppressive and God is restrictive and God wants to steal all of our joy and keep us from everything that is good. And just the opposite is true. That God has put restrictions in place so that we could experience more joy and more fulfillment, more in intimacy and authenticity in every aspect of our lives. The question is, what voice are we going to listen to? Who are we going to follow? And how do we respond When we unfortunately make the wrong choice. This is why we talk all the time about the Bible app. Because in a world of competing voices, in a world where the enemy will come to us and say, did God really say? All the more reason we have to actually know what God actually said. You might be like, but Brian, the Bible's a really big book. How am I supposed to memorize all of that? You don't have to memorize all of it, but you can search it. You can find it. And not only do we have scripture available to us, but for those of us who made the decision to follow Jesus, we know that his spirit resides within us. The spirit of God lives within us, and he serves as our guide, guiding our conscience and our convictions. And we have each other. We live in community. What are you going after? What are you searching for that has been restricted? And when you get it, how do you respond? We're going to stop there for today. But next week, we're going to see how this continues to impact us on a greater level and God's response and the hope that we have. God, I pray that we would be people who are able to discern the truth from lies. I pray that we are people who listen to your voice and what you call us to. The enemy hasn't changed his tactics. Yet, Lord, we fall for him. So I pray you would help us to lean into you and your truth. Lord, that we would be people who help one another. God, when we fall short, that we wouldn't be quick to point the finger or blame somebody else. We'd accept responsibility and allow you to go to work in our hearts. Thank you for loving us in spite of our rebellion. Thank you for not being done with us the second we make a mistake. 
God, thanks for being a God so great that we can't even fathom something greater than you and for loving us. So we sing your praises now. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.